that a drink with ice cubes? Oh my god. Did you learn nothing from the holiday special Kelly and Emmett's glass (laughs) ice cube (laughs) filled disaster? Bonanza. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of which, are we doing a holiday episode? We are. are. How many movies did you watch this year that weren't (laughs) like just for this podcast? A lot. We've seen a lot. You did? Okay, that's good. That's good. So somebody will have something to say. I saw The Green Knight. <laughs> well, the, well, I won't spoil it, but that's definitely on my list. So we'll at least talk about it. I mean, we're only are we only talking about movies that came out in 2021 that, that we watched in 2021? Because most of what I have watched that hasn't been for the podcast has still just been binging franchises. So, <laughs> I mean, yes. Well, you've got a month. Yeah, so it's good you're learning this now because you do have a month, four weeks to watch the 2021 movies. Okay. Um, you should watch No Time to Die because I think you would like that. Oh, I should watch it in theaters though, if I if I can at all swing it. Right. I know that it's on digital now, but it might still be in some theaters. It might be. Let me think what else. Well, you saw Dune this year too. Yeah, it, I know that No Time to Die has our vampire king Rami Malek in it, and. <laughs> I'm ready. It does. It does. You should watch The Harder They Fall because okay. I think you really like that. Okay. I know I need to meet the one about the robots versus the people. The Mitchells versus the androids or something. Mm-hmm. Versus the machines. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. The French Dispatch is good, but I don't know if that's out on digital yet. Uh, I was going to say, no, I'm supposed to watch the one about the gay fish. As far as like charming children's movies go that I should watch. Oh, Luca. Oh. <laughs> Luca, yes. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> That's Laura all I know about it from Letterboxd. Finding Nemo. It's really good. Yeah, I do really like it. I just love an Italian stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. <laughs> oh, we I'm know. not Italian, oh, but... We know. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have I listened to Shut Up on Your Face? <laughs> They should have used that in Luca. <laughs> they kind of do. <laughs> Emma, do you have a letterbox that you rate things on, or do you just lurk on there? I lurk on there. I sometimes, I mean, I have a watch list. My letterbox is Kirsten Cinema. <laughs> <laughs> what? Mine's uh, Movie Booby. Movie Booby? <laughs> yeah. Uh, What's yours, Wade? Something lame, probably like Wade Danger. Is that what yours is? No, I think mine is my real name. Because when you Google my real name, the only things that come up are my letterboxed and this Prezi that I made in 10th grade for uh, my social studies class. That's weird. It's a running gag of mine about my film critic identity also moonlighting as the somewhat democratic senator from arizona wait is it Kristen underscore cinema it is in fact her five stars for wait. little women five her stars for x-men apocalypse Kristen. wait okay yes you have eight movie reviews in total wait do i have reviews? five five stars for x-men apocalypse dark phoenix and the new mutants <laughs> And then five stars for Mistress America and Little Women. And two stars for A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. Brian, 
Brian Singer's crowning masterpiece of God's gift to postmodern cinema, an underappreciated gem. Oh, it's five-star review. Excuse me, Kirsten Cinema's five-star review. Of it's actually, it is Kristen Cinema. Kristen. I don't know. Kristen yeah. that you've written. You're right. So yeah, so one could say that I'm on Letterboxd. <laughs> you've made your mark. You've done enough. You never asked me if there's anything I would like to plug at the end of the show. <laughs> Here it is. Follow me on Letterboxd for more of that kind of quality content. I don't advertise my Letterboxd on the show because you used to be able to see what we were doing way in advance. Oh. Now we don't do things way in advance anymore, so you can't. <laughs> you can see what we're doing now one week ahead. Also, I am so unreliable about when I rate that I have watched movies and when I rate them. Like Sometimes I do it the moment I finished watching them. Sometimes I do it years later. So, you know, <laughs> don't trust anything I say on there. <laughs> All right. Fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. And I'm Wade. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week, to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are continuing our miniseries, The House Bummy, covering every film written by Karen McCullough and Kristen Smith. We will fully spoil today's film, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Wade. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty good. I'm in the middle of a very crunchy time at work, so I'm sorry if I'm a little out of it. I feel a little out of it, but I hope I will not be because I have a lot to say about this movie. How are you doing, Emmett? I'm doing pretty wonderfully right now. It's colder than I would like, but other than that, all good. How cold would you like it to be? I would say at the coldest, 68 degrees. That is the bare lowest minimum that the world should be allowed to get. But I'm, I am doing well today, even though it is a good 40 degrees below my bare lowest minimum. Because today we are honored. Uh, <laughs> it's 28 degrees there? Yeah, it's friggin' cold, dude. It's cold. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's cold, bro. Uh, today we are honored to have a special guest uh she's an actress musician makeup artist and soccer star perhaps best known to our audience for her undefeated run as sweeper for the illyria armadillos please welcome laura bennett happy to be here boys and may I also just say, um, undefeated champions as well as a member of the Atlanta Aardvarks volleyball team in our backyard <laughs> during early quarantine. So, uh, Emmett, we have a backyard here. So whenever you want to play some volleyball, okay, come on okay. down. Don't tempt me with a good time. You know, I'm itching <laughs> for a road trip these days. Just can't stay off the damn thing. All right. Well, Laura. What's your previous experience with this wonderful film? She's the man. This is one of my favorite movies of all time, which is why I wanted to be on this. I loved soccer and I loved theater. So this was like, this was my movie. I used to know like pretty much the entire script. Like I could quote it as it was going. And so, yeah, I really like it and watched it too many times to count. And how about the other films of Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith? I think I've seen all of them, but The Ugly Truth 
And I've seen most of the house bunny, but I was one of those ones that was just like on TV. And if my mom came home, I had to turn it off. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I've seen all of it. Cool. But I've seen all the others and I love most of them. Yeah, I feel like on TV, they'd have to cut a good bit out yeah. of the house bunny. Yeah. Where would you place this in your standing? Like, it's one of your favorite movies of all time. So it's for you, does it take the cake of out of all of these films? So far? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's my it's my number one. And I think it'll, it would stay that way. And have you been watching along with the other movies as Wade's been watching them too? I have. Sweet. I have. They're so good. All of them are so good. Wade, how about you? What's your previous experience here? I saw this and The House Bunny both when they came out. So those are the only two I watched growing up. Um, This came out 2006, so I guess I would have been 11 or 12, depending on when in the year it came out. And I remember liking it, and I remembered the general plot, but I, like, really didn't... I never rewatched it or, like, did anything else. But as a kid, I really liked Amanda Bynes, and she was kind of, like... She had this dangerous energy because Mm. the Amanda show was on Nick at night when I was a kid, which I wasn't supposed to watch. But like if you stayed up a little bit later and your parents weren't watching, you could watch a little bit of the Amanda show a little. It was a little more like tween teenage humor, both like a little bit more risk risque in some things. And then a lot of just like weird strange dancing lobster humor. So I I have always really liked Amanda Bynes. And her other big movie, What a Girl Wants, I was too young to see when that came out. So I've actually never seen that one. So this was like the Amanda Bynes movie I got to see. Hmm. Um, What about you, Emmett? Okay, I'd never seen this film before. Much like you, I was a fan of Amanda Bynes as a child. (laughs) And this is crazy because I did not have... TV as a kid. I only watched TV on very, like, just rare offhand occasions. Mm-hmm. But I distinctly remember moments that you have described from the Amanda show just now. Like, I remember the <laughs> dancing lobster. I remember her playing Judge Trudy. Mm-hmm. I remember her playing another character who was obsessed with Amanda Bynes, but she, I think she was also playing that character who had, like, her yes. face tattooed on her stomach. Also, Nick at Night, like, belly buttons. We're on Nick at Night. Crop tops were a crop tops were a thing. Well, there was a there was a sketch I remember where she like accidentally walked in on a guy she liked naked, which was like very risque as a child to be yeah. watching. I don't have any good reason for feeling this way about her because I've never actually seen any of the movies that she was in until this. And then I watched this and I was like, oh yeah, there is totally a reason. There was a good reason. She's really funny. She's really good. She's not in a ton of movies. I yeah, think she's not. I think I have it here. So she was, she did all that first, and then the Amanda Show, which are both sketch shows, is really her background. And then she was in What I Like About You, the sitcom. Oh, I saw some of that. She was one of the leads. But as far as movies, this is it. Big Fat Liar. Oh, have you guys not seen Big Fat Liar? I've never Liar? seen Big Fat Oh Liar. my god. No. It has the principal from this movie in it as well, I believe. Oh, really? Unless I'm thinking of a completely different movie, but he's the antagonist in that movie. Okay. I have seen Agent Cody Banks. Yes. Which that's the same good. kid, I believe, but I've not seen Big Fat Liar. That's the kid from Malcolm in the Middle, right? Who's in both of those as the lead. I think it's Hilary Duff and Agent Cody Banks is the girl lead. Oh, yeah. So that's her first one. Then What a Girl Wants in 2003. Also good. Then this in 2006, 
Uh huh. That's a big gap. And then she's in Hairspray. She's supporting in Hairspray. She's pretty good in that. She's Penny. That same year, she's the lead in a movie called Sydney White, which is a Snow White modern high school adaptation. Oh, that's cool. Which I think is just like a movie that does not exist. I've never heard of that. And then three years later, she's like a small part in Easy A. And I've heard that it was while watching herself in Easy A while high on marijuana that she decided she had to quit her career as an actor because she hated it so much. Oh, no. I was actually going to do a quiz at the end that was about, like, true or false, is this is this an Amanda Bynes scandal? But then I read it and I was like, no, this is actually too sad. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. She seems like a really cool person who had a really hard time. I also read that she had, she said that she had depression after watching this movie. Yeah. She's the man not acting in it, but Mm. she said when she watched it, she didn't like how she looked as a boy Mm. and had like a six month depression about that after. That's really sad. Um, And I also heard someone saying that on set, people were like friendlier and chattier with her as the boy. I also just read that in some of the research I was doing before. That also sucks. And like proves the point of this movie. I feel like a lot of actors or actresses don't watch their own stuff. Maybe for the better. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't watch my own stuff because I feel like people are so hypercritical of themselves. Hmm. I feel like that's a common thing. Like in interviews, people mm-hmm. are like, oh, I don't even, didn't even watch the movie because mm-hmm. I don't want to see myself. I think Adam Driver does that. Well, wait, I've got a question for you, Laura. I, you haven't done much film work, right? Except for those YouTube right. videos you did when you were a kid, <laughs> which everyone Please should Please don't see. expose me. <laughs> <laughs> what channel are those on? I can't share. You have to find him. That's like some of the best film acting ever. And I understand why you're very proud to to rewatch those over and over again. Show this to everyone. But like, if you were, what what do you think? Well, we did some in some classes I had in school. And it was like, I feel the same. It was just really hard for me to watch myself. It's hard for me when I'm on this podcast to listen to myself. Mm. So like, I feel like it would probably just carry over. I feel like I'd have to get used to it. And maybe eventually I'd be able to watch myself. But yeah, I think it just feels really weird. You see like your face and your expressions and like how because you never see yourself in a mirror, how other people see you speaking or like Mm. reacting because that's not what you're, you know, it's just such a different picture of yourself. And I feel like that would take some time getting used to. Well, wait, what are the very brief stats on this film? This film was directed by one Andy Fickman who's also a theater and film director. He directed the premieres of the Reefer Madness musical and Heather's the musical. That's so cool. (laughs) And after directing this, he went on to direct The Game Plan, Race to Witch Mountain, Paul Blart Mall Cop (laughs) 2. (laughs) Wow. And several other children's films. Now, is uh, Game Plan, is that the one with The Rock? And a little girl about football. That's the tooth fairy. I think. <laughs> Wait, is that? It is the rock. Yes. And it is called the oh, game plan. Is... Yeah, you're right. Madison Pettis. It's not a very good movie. I think he's like a, a professional football player and finds out he has a daughter. And then he has to be a nice person. <laughs> I think that's what that movie is. <laughs> You could really, really just do anything back in the 90s and 2000s in kids' <laughs> movies. You could kill Santa Claus and become the new Santa Claus and just never talk about it. 
Yes, he was also then later in the Tooth Fairy. What would you guess is the tagline of the Tooth Fairy? <laughs> the poster is 90% this tagline and then a little tiny picture of the rock with wings at the bottom. I, I, I like it. It's probably even more offensive than whatever I think it is. Well, do you want to hazard a guess? No, I don't. It's you can't handle the tooth. That is so dumb. Wasn't the Vin Diesel one called the Exterminator or the Punisher? The Pacifier. You're talking about the Pacifier. The classic. Classic. Vin Diesel is a babysitter for a movie. (laughs) Um, Well, that's the director of this movie. Also directed the game plan. Uh, Excellent. On the credits of this movie, it credits the first draft as being written by one Ewan Leslie. And I couldn't find anything about this man other than that he was credited on the screenplay for this. Are you sure he's not a mysterious twin brother of Miss McCullough <laughs> or Miss Smith? <laughs> it's possible. I mean, that is possible. I was at first I was like, since he has the first draft, like uh-huh. maybe is it someone who wrote another script or another movie that had sort of like that was also an adaptation of Twelfth Night and they had oh, to credit right. him. But whatever it is, there's no there's no information other than that he also produced this movie. Um, so it's possible that it was he was maybe just a guy who had this idea. It was a passion project, mm-hmm. and then he got them to like actually write a functioning script, and he got producer credit. Cool. Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith, their fourth film together. It is adapted from the 1601 comedic play Twelfth Night or What You Will by William Shakespeare. <laughs> Score by Nathan Wang, who also wrote the game plan. Runs one hour and 45 minutes, the longest of any of these we've done so far. Um, Released March 17th, 2006 by DreamWorks. So they are four for four on different studios so far in terms of working all around town. Budget of 25 million, box office of 55 million. So a moderate success. Okay. This is pretty similar to... uh, 10 things in terms of budget versus box office. So really so far it's just been Legally Blonde that was their like huge, huge financial hit. Big success. That's interesting because I feel like the the 10-year-olds watching it, the kids and like young teens watching these movies are the ones Uh who love it. They're not the ones writing the reviews. And now all those people are grown up and like these movies hold such a big place in so many people's hearts. You know, like Mm -hmm. these are the movies that we love and we still go back and watch and we're like, yeah, that's still a great movie, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's really interesting. I wonder if there'll be things like that that we're watching now. We're like, oh, no, these aren't good. But then like 10 years down the line, somebody's going to be like, that's the best movie I've ever seen. Uh, Trolls 2 World Tour. <laughs> well, we're saying that is <laughs> We're good. saying that now. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'll stand by that probably. I saw yesterday that Trolls 3 got a t- 2023 release date. <laughs> That's exciting. Hard to top a masterpiece. I don't envy <laughs> the creative task they're up to. Okay, so just that know that that's what we will be covering in 2023 on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's slowly becoming a series you can take on. Yeah, yeah, we could do we could do all three. Yeah, we talked about that with Ellen Channard a little bit because I, having never seen Ellen Channard, had only ever heard good things from people mm-hmm. our age who watched it. And then when I was doing the research, I was like, oh, it was a huge box office flop, critical huh. failure at the time. Huh. But then you watch it today and it's wild. And yeah. you're like, 
<laughs> Why wouldn't they like this? <laughs> uh, so in this movie, she, uh, she's the man. It is. Yes, yeah, sorry. Said. I'm so sorry. I'm an adaptation. A, how would you <laughs> no, describe? It's, it's, it's all good. I'm about to describe <laughs> this movie now, whether you like I'm it or not. Behind <laughs> on the cues. How would you describe this movie? She's the man to anyone who hasn't seen it. Okay, so if you ever seen Twelfth Night, it's like that. Uh, <laughs> that's honestly how I would describe it to anyone who hasn't seen it. But if I was going to describe it for the podcast, I would say we have a protagonist. Her name is Viola. She seems to have it all. She's like a kick-ass player on the girls' soccer team at her high school. Cornwall. Cornwall, Cornwall High School. Um, yeah. She has a hot soccer boyfriend. Everything seems cool. He's like the captain of the boys team. We get like the sick opening montage where it looks like everything in her life couldn't be better. Honestly, at the beginning of this, I was like, why, why, what are we doing? Like, you know, like she already has she already has everything that a protagonist in a Shakespeare play ends up getting. So I really like watching her lose it all in the first scene. It's incredible, incredible writing. So here's what happens. The girls soccer team at their school gets cut. The sexist coach at the of the boys' team, who apparently has never heard of Title IX, is like, girls can't play on a boys' soccer team, punts the decision to her boyfriend, the head of the team, to see uh, whether or not he'll let like the girls try out for the boys' team when the girls' team gets cut. And he says no, and she dumps his ass right there, which is pretty awesome. She's still upset. She's like, I can't be on the soccer team. This sucks. Her mom, who really wants her to just be a debutante society lady, is like, this is great. This is the best thing that's ever happened. You can focus on being a woman now instead of dealing with all that sport. Her brother, who is kind of a goof, has been kicked out of Cornwall for being absent a lot, I guess, because he's always going to band practice. He's just gotten into school in Illyria, which is the other prep school in town, the other like boarding prep school in town. The prestigious school. It's a very prestigious school. He is instead going to run away to England for two weeks at the beginning of the semester and wants his sister to cover for him by saying that he's gotten sick uh, and call the school. They are all pulling this run around on their divorced parents who live on opposite sides of town so that they say they're one place and they're really the other. She realizes that this is her chance. She can go to Illyria, pretend to be Sebastian get on the soccer team, um, on the boys' soccer team there, play her ex in the upcoming grudge match. So she's like, yeah, obviously this is what I'm going to do. She enlists the help of her hairdresser friend who turns her into (laughs) this kind of geeky, sweet-looking young boy, this, like, strange preppy boy. Then she also, like, follows a bunch of men around and picks up on their habits (laughs) And, like, then does this bizarre... So she, like, looks like a very sweet, like, unassuming, (laughs) just, like... Nine-year-old boy. Nine-year-old boy, I would say. Yeah, like, so I'm, like, a prepubescent boy. And she is talking, like, I don't know what. The accent varies. There's a lot of accent work in this movie. There's so many different accents that she's doing. So many different kinds of aggressive manliness that she is trying to put on that is so charming so hilarious to watch she's rooming okay she's rooming with duke orsino played by none other than channing tatum in his first film role 
holy hell, he like thanks mm-hmm. Amanda Bynes for being the person who launched his career because she saw him in an unair. She like saw him in a commercial for like toothpaste or something and was like, was I need Mountain him. Dew commercial. Mountain, Mountain Dew commercial. Mountain Dew. Yeah. It's like, I That's need incredible. you to be Duke Orsino in this. No one else <laughs> could do it. And he is incredible in this. I think he's really good. I think we should give that man. I think we should give that man his Gambit movie. I'm all over the place. I'm going summary of it. <laughs> Do you guys think when you're 16, you can buy a plane ticket to England and fly there by yourself? They are rich. <laughs> and so I assume they can do whatever they want. Maybe he's 17. Does that make a difference? He could be 18 yeah. because he's supposed to be like a senior there. Oh, but they're twins. What the hell? They're twins. Oh, which no, it seems very much like he is the older brother for most of the movie. But yeah. then there's a revelation that they're twins, which I guess makes sense in the play. He could twins, be older but... still. He could be like two minutes yeah. older. <laughs> right. But that's why he seems that way. Could she be? Is she supposed to be a senior in high school? I don't think so. You know, maybe he's in a band with somebody who's a little older and they bought the ticket. That's is this true. really what we're getting hung up on right now? <laughs> I, this is we're in the first the 15 synopsis. minutes of the movie. There's so much <laughs> plot left. <laughs> this is, I and I love this movie. This movie pulls this off excellently. Twelfth Night has a hell of a lot of plot. Twelfth Night is one of like the thickest plots of a Shakespeare play ever. Dummy thick. There's just like so many different things happening. And I think this movie pulls it off really, really well. One of the things that's happening is there's this girl, Olivia. She's the hottest girl at the school, basically. She's too cool for everyone. Duke Orsino, who is really, everyone would, you'd assume that like all the girls are like falling over Duke Orsino and they kind of are, but he's like kind of a bumbling fool when it comes to talking to girls, which is straight also out of the Shakespeare play. He kind of enlists his new roommate, who is this fake Sebastian, into like getting Olivia to like him and be able to talk to girls because there's this wild ass scene where Viola as Sebastian proves that that Sebastian is cool by having Viola's two hot friends come up to her while she's Sebastian do basically the same thing that happens in Legally Blonde that that Elle Woods does where she's like oh I think about it all the time like I can't believe you left me like uh, like I'll never know such pleasure again in my life and he's just like playing it cool or something <laughs> the whole it's such time. a good scene <laughs> I mean the way that scene escalates and then the actual girlfriend of her brother shows up too and is like what the hell is going on I think adding that complicating factor that Sebastian already has a bad girlfriend is such a great choice for this that's like a new addition from the Shakespeare play And that is such a great complicating factor for all of this, I think. We have to talk about the fact that these writers wrote a character named Monique. And the director and producers of this movie cast a blonde white lady to play Monique in this movie. That's fair. I just (laughs) want to say that. She's trading love advice with Orsino for soccer advice so that she can get on the boys' soccer team there. The coach of that team is played by the excellent, I don't know, that guy from a bunch of Guy Ritchie movies. He plays like the dude with the bullets in his teeth from Snatch. You want to know who he is? Who? Who he is this same year. Who? The Juggernaut. I'm the Juggernaut! (laughs) 
Vinny Jones. Vinny Jones, our man, our main man. That guy, Vinny Jones, as the soccer coach, he's like, honestly, one of my favorite parts of this whole movie. She works really hard. She gets on the team. She's playing. Olivia is, of course, in love with her instead of with Orsino, as planned. But then in like even further complications, Orsino meets Viola at the county fair when she's doing the whole Mrs. Doubtfire routine at the county fair, which is also, I mean, set piece after set piece. She 100% did not have to change that much. She really changed too many times. Yeah, she really did change like two too many times. There was no need. (laughs) Also, why wouldn't she just keep the dress on underneath and like tuck it into the pants, keep it under the shirt? Instead, she literally had to take on and off the dress every time. Like, she was not using her time well. The teacup change is my favorite, is maybe my favorite (laughs) thing in the whole movie. When she gets on the teacup. And And it's like a perfect, (laughs) it's a perfect, like, representation of, like, a physical representation of what's going on in her emotionally. Of, like, she's just being flung around, spinning. She's completely out of control. It's just, like, momentum and dizziness, and she has no idea which way is up. So and there's a little kid next to her while she changes. The whole time. And she just says, stay in school, kid. Well, after she peels the sideburn off their face. Oh, yeah. And puts it back on her. That's good. Orsino meets Viola, falls in love with things. Or, like, it starts to get the hots for Viola, still maybe into Olivia. He's having, like, lots of deep talks with his roommate, Sebastian. And they're getting, like, really emotionally vulnerable. And what I think is, like, the best acting in this whole movie is, like, the stuff between them is like so there is like something like there's a reason why this play still like holds like such an interest and a power and i think a lot of it comes from like the like play of relationships that's going on and Mm -hmm. i think it's really well done in this movie and i think it keeps it really vulnerable and really dangerous for them it feels dangerous for them in a really interesting cool way i think i don't know and like i love the moment when channing tatum's like why are you always so vulgar about women i think he's really good in this (laughs) (laughs) i think he's really good too i think he's like so unformed Mm -hmm. that it is like such a yeah like you were saying like a vulnerable experience um like she calls him sensitive but i think it's more that he's his character is like not very worldly like you get that impression that he's not a guy who has really experienced much but i think just like channing tatum as an actor is so vulnerable in this being his first role that he doesn't really know what to do and like that helps with the character plays into it it plays into it well yeah just kind of like his innocence and like yeah he really just seems like he's actually that character in a lot of ways you know yeah 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 to take it into the shakespeare corner for a second obviously this summary is just going to be what we're doing <laughs> so and we're going to stop at points along the way and talk about things because i have no idea how this movie it is a magic act what they pull off in in like the last 25 minutes of this film i think But yeah, I don't know. I think Orsino is so like often it's like, oh, Orsino is boring or Orsino is like just kind of a schmuck. Like you don't like him in Twelfth Night a lot because you're like, why does he like Olivia? He's a duke. He's super rich. He's like ordering people around. The power play feels like off between him and Viola. But in this, it feels like they're on much more equal footing. Like he has that little bit of like, can she be on the team? 
it feels more equal. And he just feels more likable. The thing he plays, I don't know the exact word for it, but it's like amused bewilderment at Sebastian. Like it's this very specific thing that he plays a lot of times in their scenes together where he can't believe the ridiculous stuff that Sebastian is saying. Or or when Sebastian's trying to like role play with him or whatever. (laughs) And Uh he's like amused and shocked by it at the same time. I think he plays that so well in this movie. Okay, well, okay, I really want to talk about this. As we're like paused off on this part about um, our Viola and Orsino. Oh, this movie is so difficult to like unpack now, it feels like because it's like there's like implied homophobia in the idea of like they're like, oh that but they're I don't know. It's like part of what the whole thing is playing around is that it's like silly or weird or like not right that Orsino and Sebastian would fall in love. But that is also kind of what's happening, like of them, like being afraid by the, by the spider and then like looking like they're going to kiss each other. And then they're like, oh, gross, like get away from me and like, don't ever do the girl voice thing again. I don't know. Thoughts? Yeah. The gay panic. So I was really watching this, just trying to think about like what it would mean to the queer community now. Like if this movie came out now or if you're watching it now and you're like, oh, this like maybe didn't age well. But I genuinely feel like there is the layer of like Duke kind of being afraid for the things I think he's feeling for Sebastian. Right. Mm -hmm. But like I also think that uh, could be a real thing, you know, Mm -hmm. like struggling with that internalized homophobia. You know, it's not so much that the movie is homophobic, but it's bringing to light this like thing where it's like, okay, if I'm like. Like, why do I feel this way about this person? It's because of who they are, right? It's Mm -hmm. not because of, like, any certain gender or gender identity, right? So it's kind Mm -hmm. of like maybe Duke would be struggling with, like, what he's feeling and what he's supposed to be feeling. And and so that would be his reaction, you know? Like, he would be like, oh, ah, like, don't do that. You're freaking me out because, like, I'm feeling things I don't know how to deal with. Yeah. So I think that's a really interesting element as well as Olivia being in love with Sebastian, but Sebastian's actually Viola. Mm -hmm. I do think they kind of take kind of like an easy way out of that by being like, oh, you're in love with Sebastian, so here's the real one. Yeah. But it's like she didn't fall in love with that guy. Well, that's that's also the thing from the play, too, that is like, and I think they kept the spirit of the play in that. Right. Hilariously. I don't know if it like is as satisfying to us watching it but in is as like an adaptation of the funny moment from the play when sebastian just walks into olivia in the end of 12th night he and he just is like oh i guess i'm getting married now (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think there's a lot of interesting elements of like masculinity and like femininity and like how much of that is like performative Mm -hmm. like i mean her whole thing and she's literally just performing what her what she thinks masculinity is supposed to be and like whether or not that is like accepted by the people around her or like i don't know it's just so interesting it shows i think it's like actually shows that masculinity is performed or that femininity is performed Mm -hmm. and even in duke's like experience where he doesn't know how to talk to like girls but then like can talk to viola as sebastian Mm -hmm. And she sees the elements of him that I guess are considered like more feminine or like more sensitive when he's in those vulnerable moments. Mm. And like, I don't know, it's just really interesting. Well, you're right too, because there's that whole thing of like, 
in her own like original feminine life, she's on a spectrum of femininity that is closer to the masculine than her mom would like. Because even right. though she's like straight cisgender girl, she is still like more tomboyish or whatever, like wanting to play soccer, like not as about wearing dresses and stuff as her mom would like her to be. Who's like wants her way over on this other end of like, yeah, performed femininity too. So that's interesting as well. And then she goes all the way instead of being who she would be if she was a boy, who is probably someone closer to the real Sebastian. She goes all the way to the other end of performed masculinity from like what her mom would want her to be as a girl. It's like very layered. It's a very layered experience. I do think there's a lot of moments that can speak to almost like a trans person's experience. Um, And I feel like if you're watching them, you see these moments that these people might feel like or relate to in a way where Viola goes through like, obviously she has the feminine like hygiene products and they make a whole bit out of that. And that's like a hilarious scene, but like also that's something that like a trans person could, could like experience like, Mm -hmm. and you know, like that is something they could relate to when they're watching just that moment of like someone seeing that. And like, now they have to have a conversation about that and, and therefore, you know, kind of maybe find themselves in like a weird situation or something that makes them uncomfortable, something maybe they weren't ready to share or Mm -hmm. like, Viola is like binding and like has the shared locker room experience like Mm -hmm. in the showers like the communal showers and like what that specific experience would be for like a trans person I feel like I don't know I feel like as a young person there's a lot of situations in this movie that you could be seeing and maybe someone would relate to that and be like whoa like obviously it's like in this roundabout way and it's a comedy but you're watching this and you're like that is an experience that a trans person or a queer person would go through. And maybe seeing that on screen, even in a comedy setting, is something that's like actually really cool and like relatable. I thought that was cool. Like seeing those moments, watching it now, being like, these are actual like real situations. Yeah. I think it's a really, really cool. I just, there's so many layers to like the gender, gender identity, gender expression, all the things in this movie. Yeah. That it's really like when you think about, when you think about it, there's like so much more to this movie than just like, this like over-the-top comedy yeah what this also is making me think of is like this performance thing it harkens back to another movie we talked about keanu where mm-hmm. key and peel are like performing this version of like black gangster uh masculinity that they think they're supposed to put on to fit in on the mission that they're on and then turned out like having really vulnerable you know, like normal person conversations with the other gang members that would like in the car scene that your idea of what you need to put on to like blend into a community is maybe not exactly like not exactly what you think it is. Like uh, comparing that to Viola's absurd performance as I, and I think it's in the same realm of comedy too, that Key and Peele are yeah. in, in that movie. Well, both coming from sketch comedy yeah, And I think that that movie is also doing the thing Laura was talking about, where like that movie gets made because it is hilarious to watch Keegan-Michael Key yell and pretend to be very like extraordinarily masculine. Yes. Um, like that is consistently <laughs> hilarious. And that's why the movie gets made, but then they use that as a way to like say something about it, yeah. which maybe eases that message in a lot better than... Um, like an Oscar bait drama would. Right. And in in the same way that I think this movie is all about that 
it's because it's so funny to see Amanda Bynes play this insane character. I think that <laughs> I, they have really done, looking at these four movies, like an unbelievable job of writing to the strengths of their leads, their lead mm. women each time. Ooh. Like these are like four incredibly unique characters and each of them are like exactly the thing that that actress should be playing. And in each case that nobody else was letting them play. Mm. Right. Like Reese Witherspoon was only getting these dramatic roles and she wanted to do a comedy and no one would let her, especially as like a Valley girl, but she Mm -hmm. is like perfect in that movie. Yeah. And the same thing for Anne Hathaway that she kind of had this reputation as like the people pleaser, over eager, like young thespian to get that role. And the same for Amanda Bynes here. That's like just such a unique swing. I don't know. I think this movie is grounded by her in a lot of ways. And it's such a unique performance that I think is a lot from her sketch comedy background and a lot of it that she's sort of like treating individual scenes as individual sketches almost Mm -hmm. and like finding the joke of every scene a lot of her dialogue is improvised too and a lot of david crosses in the movie is they're both so good like it's just so funny yeah facial expressions yeah are incredible they're so good it's so unique like it's nobody else especially like no other leading lady really gives a performance like that but it works so well for this movie she kind of reminds me in some ways of Florence Pugh, too, with like using the lower register yeah. Uh, yeah. of her voice. They both have like those really, really like big expressive eyes, too. Like I feel like they mm-hmm. both use like their entire Just face. Just like wide faces that have yeah. like, a whole play of emotion on them. Yeah, I, I yeah, that's a really good comparison. That just makes me love Amanda Bynes even more. Yeah. Like in, in, any any comparison with Florence Pugh is only only <laughs> heightens someone in my eyes. Truly, I feel like she says the line in a way that you in, that you wouldn't think to as someone like mm. who acts or you know like she definitely goes like in a very different direction a lot of times with a line than you would think it should be said but it adds mm. so much more to it. Like, it's just so far from flat. And I just think it's so great how how she handles, I mean, if it's all improvised too, like she just knows this, the timing of everything and, and how to make the words coming out of her mouth just like work every time. Like the jokes land. They're so good. Yeah. And she is playing a huge range. Not only is she <laughs> in like almost every scene of this movie, she is playing the absurd Sebastian. She's playing the sweet and getting to know Orsino Sebastian. She is playing the moments where she's like almost slipping into Viola as Sebastian in some of those cases. She's playing full on Viola in some scenes. And you're like tracking her emotional journey through everything. Uh, and the stakes stay high the whole time. It's, like, it's, it's nuts. I think this is... Okay, well, all right. So, Laura, I'll ask you first. Flop or bop? <laughs> I forgot. We haven't even asked this question yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say a bop. I've always thought it's a bop, and it's still a bop. Wait, flop or bop? A bop for me. I went into this movie, like, entirely trying to look at it through the trans lens mm-hmm. as much as I could, and the queer lens, like, really... I mean, I'm really, I've always, like, always as a person been very interested in gender dynamics and 
femininity. That's what a lot of my work is about. So I was like remembering how the plot plays out. I was like, how much in this movie is there of like men are from Mars, women are from Venus type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was really worried. And I think what I found is that it is like such a compelling movie that I think is all about gender anxiety. Mm and gender dynamics but like from from almost every character in it like yeah. has this like intense anxiety about their gender that is like explored in so many ways as you guys were talking to and i want to talk about even more but like yeah that's and that's what i think the movie is about is like questioning those dynamics at every turn and because it's so funny that stuff plays really well Having said that, I do want to say that the ending sucks. Parts of the ending are horrible and like they should have known better. Wait, which specific parts are you talking about? The gender reveal party. Sure. Like Uh that the way these characters in this movie that is all about Mm -hmm. like exploring the different dimensions of gender, the way they reveal what gender they are is by flashing their genitalia as 16 year olds to a gigantic crowd of adults true which is like spurred on by adults and then like the entire crowd goes crazy about what sebastian's genitalia like, looks like this i'm this is 100 this is 100 a stretch and definitely like most likely not purposeful by them i mean i don't know it's a PG. It's PG thirteen. it's gotta be pg there's no way this was <laughs> well 13. obviously we don't see their genitalia Right. They flash everybody. Yeah. And I don't think they did this on purpose, but I think the fact that we don't see it, there's no comment. Like, I don't know. I think it's still kind of is interesting. It leaves it slightly open ended. To what? I don't know. Just like we don't. Whether they actually. Well, no. Just like we don't see it, so it's not really important what it is. I don't know. Like it could be a stretch, and I don't think they would have. I don't think they did that purposefully. I'm sure it was just like a gag. Like a. I don't know. I don't know if it diminishes it for me. It's like, yes, this person has this and this person has this, whatever. But, like, what we've learned throughout the movie is that, like, it's, like, the way they identify and the way they express their gender is so much more than that. That's just what the people people in the world need to see. You know, like, I feel like people are so... You're pressured to be, like, mm-hmm. okay, what is what do they have, like, biologically? Like, what is, what does they have, you know? But I feel like the message is undercut by that. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like this whole movie examining... The question of this movie is kind of, can a girl be a boy, Mm -hmm. right? And then for, like, the ultimate, like, proving scene of the movie to be just, let's see what their body is. Like, Mm -hmm. let's literally get these children naked and see what their body is. I think is terrible. And I think also some of the lines in the ultimate, like, Channing Amanda love scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah are tough, are interesting in this whole relationship, but, like, are tough. Like, can you uh, just stay a girl? It'll be easier. Well, yeah, and that's the interesting thing, is, like, the easier thing is when he's, like, he's, like, it's interesting or whatever that you've been a boy and a girl, but it would be more convenient for me if you stayed a girl from here. Which is also what Orsino says basically at the end of Twelfth Night. That it, and in the end of Twelfth Night, in the play, Viola is still wearing, is like still in full men's gear at the end when they walk off. And there's there's something to that as well. I agree that it's like, yeah, I agree that that is not ideal. 
but it's interesting. It is interesting. And some of it is about like the queerness of their relationship that we're saying. I have less of an issue with that stuff than with the flashing. Yeah. But I think that like ultimately, like most of these movies, McCullough and Smith are prioritizing female empowerment over gender acceptance. Mm. But like, again, having said that, I love this movie and I think it's like so fascinating and interesting and like gave me so much to think about. Yeah, it's crazy how much like we have to digest as viewers of this movie. Like, yeah, you watch right? it at a service. Level. I, I watched it so many times growing up, just like how much there's to talk about, how much still there is to talk about. Like, yeah, today. Like this feels in between Ella and 10 things in terms of the kids scale for me. Like, Ten Things Mm -hmm. is a full-on teen movie, and this movie is obviously about teenagers, but it feels a little younger than that movie. Mm -hmm. Maybe because of how broad it is, too. But I think, like, for a movie for 10-year-olds or people who are about to be in puberty, like, really questioning what all of the gender stuff means is really interesting. Yeah. Well, Emmett, what about you, Flop or Bump? I would definitely say Bop. I think this is like the best crafted of all of these films yet. Mm. I think in terms of like pure storytelling craft, I think what they're doing by the end of this with like the number of different pieces they have in motion and like the way they orchestrate it to all come together, it is like nutty. Having directed Twelfth Night and having written and directed a play that was basically a sequel to Twelfth Night. Mm Mm-hmm. It is really hard to pull that off, to pull off what they what happens in the fourth act of Twelfth Night with all of those with all of those pieces moving around like that. What you want from the audience is this feeling of dread, basically, that there is no possible way that all of these disparate threads could come together and our protagonists could possibly prevail over it. Except at the same time it's a comedy, so we know they will. And so there's this bizarre stretch that you feel where you're like it's almost an anxiety for the storyteller of like how are they going to do this how are they going to pull it off and i feel that in the fourth act of good comedies or the second act of good modern comedies of that just like feeling of how can it possibly resolve properly and Mm -hmm. i think that this this movie gives you that feeling is moving fast enough and how like has the momentum and sustains it so that the end like pulls it all together and it works. I agree with your point that it sucks that like they're equating gender and biological packages in the last scene there. As it is like kind of a raunchy comedy, I'm less upset about the general idea of them flashing people than I am about like what as you say the equation of of gender and physical sex. But that's where I fall on that. But still, totally a bop. Totally a fun movie watch it because like you'll have to think about and process all of this too and like that's a good enough of a reason to like watch it and you'll have a fun time this wild ass movie we haven't even talked about toby and eunice but (laughs) i just want to shout out toby and eunice (laughs) that's like another like all like you said like all the characters are dealing with like what the expectations of them like of them are and like who they're supposed to like and like you know, all that different things, including like Toby and Eunice. I don't know that Channing Tatum's or Duke's third friend. I don't know his name in, well, the, in the trio. Presumably it's Andrew, right? That's the, isn't it Toby and Andrew in the play? Oh, uh, yeah. It would be. Yeah. Okay, so, so it's Andrew. Yeah. He gets told off by Monique in that one yeah. good scene, I guess. Because he says, pretty lady. 
<laughs> um, but in the end, Wade and I noticed, which I've literally never noticed before watching this, is that he is sitting with the hairstylist. The hairstylist. Antonio, the hairstylist or yeah, he's sitting with Antonio at this, like he is Antonio's date oh. to the final debutante ball the thing. And they're like together. I think like Antonio like puts his hand yeah. on it, like, and it's just a brief moment. And you're like, so he's also str- he's a very side character. But he's also like struggling with like, okay, I need to like flirt with this girl or like, but actually, you know. Yeah. So it's literally every character you kind of see small things of them struggling with like what the expectations are of like who they want, who they need to like, or who they're supposed to like versus who they actually do. Which is a very high school thing, you know. I feel like it's yeah. a very high school dynamic in yeah. all of this, which is cool. And also that Viola's confession that she is a different gender, like sparks a wave of queer acceptance among everyone at the school. Like that the Duke like really processes his feelings and then like is okay with that. Like in that scene where he's like, it's weird that we fell in love when you were a boy, but I wouldn't have been as honest with you if you weren't a boy. Yeah. And we wouldn't have been like as intimate uh-huh. If you were a girl, but also that, like we said, like Toby who has been <laughs> so attracted to Eunice the whole time. And Eunice is just a little she freak in the best way. She's sitting there watching <laughs> Sebastian. She made him breakfast. With, she made him a cupcake <laughs> with a gummy worm on top for breakfast. I love that. But then Toby, the whole movie has been like, is anyone else absurdly attracted to Eunice? Can I get a hell yeah? No one else feels the same way. And at the end, he like finally accepts it. Um, and that also Andrew then is with the stylist, which is something it seems like he maybe wouldn't have been comfortable doing around some of the things the Duke has said earlier mm-hmm. that he is at the end, like may- maybe in that kid's movie way that it like causes a wave of them all like accepting things and growing yeah it even gets her parents back together (laughs) which maybe that's not (laughs) what needed to happen that's like a kids movie thing from the 90s and thousands and i've i feel like that is not the dream when you have divorced parents is not for your parents (laughs) to start dating again start dating each other again yeah that is a thing from a lot isn't it damn Mm mm-hmm Okay, wait, do you have any behind-the-scenes drama on this film? I feel like we've been talking about this film for years now, but I love it. We could go on for another year. I, I actually have very little. I want to say that the movie takes some lead from the 2001 Disney Channel original movie, uh, Motocrossed, which is another high school set adaptation of Twelfth Night, where instead of soccer, they're riding BMX bikes and doing extreme sports. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I think I've seen that. Yeah, I'm sure it's on Disney Plus because they have yeah, every Disney original movie on Disney Plus. So, yeah. Speaking of extreme sports, real quick, just to finish this summary, the way this movie ends <laughs> is that oh. she gets to shoot a, a penalty kick on her boyfriend, her ex, her douchebag ex boyfriend, who's the goalie and who we all agree sucks, and she like nails this ball. He deflects it, and then Duke kicks the ball back to her, and she scores doing the behind-the-back flip kick and totally just, I mean, just completely nails it. It is one of the coolest things to ever happen. It is, 
I think the soccer sequence in the end of this movie is at least as cool as the fight sequence in the end of Ella Enchanted. I would also say that <laughs> as far as like action sequences go, I think like the whole like confession during an action sequence from Ella Enchanted is like recreated here in an even more like spectacular but grounded way. Second to the flashing, the second most problematic thing in this movie for me is the fact that she plays this final soccer game after she's revealed as Viola with her hair down. <laughs> I've always had a problem with it. It's because it is impossible. You can even see in some shots her hair entirely going over her face. You can't see. It's not even just like a, oh, like she can't play with her hair down. Like she can't look cute in place. No, you can't. You cannot see anything when your hair is down. Your hair like gets in your face. You're not seeing the ball. You're not seeing the people around you. And I think it is quite impossible that she was successful in that game with her hair down. Damn. That's all I have to say on that. The truth revealed. <laughs> How accurate would you say the soccer scenes are other than that? Oh, pretty accurate. I've like done like all the their practice drills. I, those are very real drills and like I don't know. Kinda bummed she had a soccer double. But I mm-hmm. guess if you if you don't got it, you don't got it, you know? Gotta make it look real. <laughs> That you heard that here, first ladies. If you want uh, somebody to be cast in the Wolves, somebody who actually knows how to play soccer already and is a terrific actor, uh, Laura Bennett <laughs> is your woman. Wow, thank you. <laughs> I think we've covered almost everything else in the behind the scenes. Amanda Bynes was 19 when this was filmed, and Channing Tatum was 25. So that's worth mentioning. It's so funny to see him in this because he looks so young yeah. and because he's like a fourth the size of what he is later in movies. Yeah. But I also want to mention that Channing Tatum has not been in a live action movie since 2017. He's one of these guys kind of like Fassbender who just like disappeared. But we just saw a preview for a movie for his big return oh, yeah. next year in Dog. He did. He just saw the trailer. What's it about? It's just about he's Dog like bounty hunter. He's like this military guy, I guess, who like left the military and wants to come back. And they're like, okay, you can come back if you train this really bad dog. And this dog, like, oh, this dog's original owner, like, passed away. So this dog is like acting out, and it's about him like road tripping with this dog and like trying to train it. And it's like this crazy, crazy dog. And it's I would very watch funny. That. <laughs> it's coming out next year. <laughs> just called Dog. Yeah, it's just called Dog. dog. But it's a real dog, so it's none yeah, of this Call of God. the Wilds. Like, it is an actual physical dog there. That's cool. I think we should return to the days of dog actors being nominated for best supporting, <laughs> best lead. You know, when can the dog have his day? That's my question. <laughs> Uh, anything else anything else to talk about in this movie uh, we've kind of covered we've kind of talked about it but is anything else aged like fine wine in this movie I mean okay I don't want to talk about this too long but I just think that it's really interesting that like a huge Republican talking point right now uh-huh. is trans high schoolers playing sports Oh, interesting. and that that is a big point in this movie that they even talk about, that the coach at the beginning talks about, where he's like, that's just science. That's bodies are built different. It's not sexism to say girls suck. That's just how they are. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is like more commonly 
a fear from the other angle, although that would be, I guess, the first time that Republican parents care about female sports would be if a trans woman is going to play them. But I don't know. I don't want to talk too much about that, but I just think it's like more relevant than ever. Yeah. Early in this year, I saw this thing on Twitter and I think about it a lot from like a Republican senator and it was like a manifesto that he had posted to his Twitter about all the things that like conservatives believe in 2021. Um, And it was all these like weird things that like I didn't even know what they were. But I think about a lot. One of them was like, it's Latino, not Latinx and all this other stuff. But one of them was like, girls will play girls in sports and boys will play boys in sports and they will never cross. Okay. And that was like one of the things on like the manifesto of the most important Republican points. They never heard of just like a co-ed sports team ever. I mean, <laughs> right. regardless of regardless of the the trans issue. I mean, I know how hateful they are about that, but like, have they? Is that just like what the hell? <laughs> Absurd on the very face of it. But you know, that's why we're not in the politics podcasting. <laughs> So much energy is put forth into things that like really have no effect on their lives. Yeah, it's like actually that's not going to affect your life in any way. So why don't you just stop talking about it? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I kind of don't want to go off on tangents this late in the episode. That like part of the reason that the middle aged generation right now uh, has like such an extreme trans panic specifically mm-hmm. is because. All of these movies from like the 80s to the thousands always had some weird joke scene about it. Like Uh, uh that there is such a talking point about like what if guy dresses up as a girl and comes into the girl's bathroom and spies on us peeing. That's because like that's the thing that like Dan Aykroyd and Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy did in every movie in the 80s and 90s. And even in action movies, there's there was always, like, a scene where, like, there's a beautiful woman who seduces them, and then they, like, fill them up and realize it's a man in some exotic country. And I feel like all of, like, all of that portrayal of cross-dressing as a joke on screen mm-hmm. is, like, primarily where the older generation's exposure to trans people is, rather than, you know, uh, knowing them. And that's, like, what contributed to that i'm glad that this movie is at least like interrogating it harder than just like isn't this funny yeah you know because she is playing up the male stereotypes but very quickly the men around her are like oh we don't like that (laughs) that's not what we are like (laughs) and also really like just so smart that this movie is using like the two poles of like the sports team and the sports locker room as like the most like traditionally masculine space and Uh the debutante ball is like the most traditionally feminine space. Yeah. And that she has to like figure out where she fits in both of those is like so smart and interesting. Chew like you have a secret will forever be ingrained in my mind. (laughs) What is it? When she's at the debutante like dinner and the head lady comes up to her and he's like, Viola, chew like you have a secret. (laughs) That's so funny. It's just in my mind. That's always how I'll chew now. Because I'm a lady. 
Are kissing booths really a thing? I think they really were. Not anymore. They are anymore. I pray. I hope not. (laughs) I've seen them in movies, but I'm like, did people really pay four dollars to kiss someone? Have you ever seen a kissing booth in real life? Mm -mm. I've seen a dunking booth in real life. That's not a kissing booth. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's more exciting than a kissing booth, if you ask me. Especially, I hate the old bastard who's up in the chair. One time, one time there was a teacher that everybody hated up in the dunking booth, and some kid bought his ticket, you know, to throw the thing at the target. So he dropped the sack, ran up, and slammed the button. <laughs> so kissing booths are not real, myth debunked, but dunk booths are real. Is what we've come. No, kissing booths really happened. That's messed up, but it happened. All right. (laughs) Laura, who's your MVP other than, I think Viola's the only one, she's the only protagonist for this movie. Mine would probably be the principal. I feel like we haven't talked about him enough. Talk about him. (laughs) He is just like also someone else in the movie whose comedic timing is just so good. I don't know. Wait, he's in Arrested Development as well, right? Yes, Tobias. He's (laughs) in Development. He is just so funny. And, like, he really knows who he is, you know? And I think he supports these kids in a really great way. Like, you know, they don't want to hear really what he has to say. But I think he always has something kind to say to these children. Even if it's not, like, (laughs) even if it's not correct, you know? Like, he's just trying his best to make all these high school students feel better. I love the moment where he just looks at Malcolm and he says, Malcolm? Have you ever tried to run away in heels? <laughs> and then he talks about, he comes to Viola as Sebastian and talks about like his experience with balding. <laughs> and like, I don't know, he's just trying his best to be this great principal everybody loves. And, uh, you know, he doesn't always succeed. But I feel like all those kids are going to look back at their time <laughs> at this high school and they're going to be like, that guy, he was great. And they're going to have so many stories about him. You know, that's what makes the best faculty teachers, you know, the people who are just absurd in your stories. But anyway, I love him. I think he adds a lot to this movie. (laughs) Yeah, I think he's great and so funny. (laughs) That's all I have to say. He's my MVP. What is the joke about him supposed to be? Because there (laughs) is one, but I can't tell. That he's just like, I don't know, just like that funny, awkward, Yeah, is it that teacher. he's awkward? Is it that he's coded as gay? Is it that he is like trying to be younger than he is and is like doing the hello fellow kids thing? Is all it just yes. that he's balding? <laughs> it's yes and. That yeah, is it's his, all of them. <laughs> it's all of the above because that is the character that he plays in Arrested Development and that is the character that he plays in Men in Black in the brief cameo that he has in, the, in one of those movies. Oh, wow. He's just like kind of this weird, gross guy uh, <laughs> that is like trying his best and people are kind of put off by. Yeah, I find him quite endearing actually. He's, I feel like his like comedic shtick is that he is like a character with no dignity who's always <laughs> acting like he has the highest status in every group that he's yeah. in. <laughs> I think you I think you've nailed it. I think that is it. Wade, who's your MVP? There are three I really like. Um, but I think Emma is going to pick one of them, so I'm going to game <laughs> the system. I think that I'm going to give MVP to 
the hairstylist. Oh. Who is such a warm presence in this movie. A little bit of that fun queer energy that the movie needs. And I think... I think that it makes what Viola is doing much more palatable that there are people who know about it and are helping her with it mm-hmm. who are other characters who we like. Mm-hmm. Because like removed if removed from the whole like gender identity inner questioning thing. Like what Viola is doing is kind of messed up. That she <laughs> that she who is that... <laughs> No, you're right. You're right. Get into it. Like that she who is one gender and not questioning that about herself is pretending to be a different gender and like in person, like going through a school lying to everyone. Like you're right that there is some implied homophobia when Channing Tatum is mad at the end, but also this person kind of a messed up thing to do. Had a close really relationship to with to a person. That's true. Has just said that like they're an entirely <laughs> different person with an entirely different gender who is in love with them and has been sleeping next to them for the last two weeks, harboring these feelings. So like I don't think on a blanket assumption that just because we like Viola we approve of what she's doing, but in the play. Uh The audience is on her side, right? Right. She is talking to the audience. The audience Mm -hmm. knows what is going on. Mm -hmm. And when things get complicated, like she turns to the audience and winks and is like, oh my God, can you believe that just happened? And in this movie, that is replaced by the hairstylist and his two friends Mm -hmm. who have like this fun older energy that are supporting her and helping her on her journey. And I feel like that makes it so much better that there is like a team kind of talking her through what she's doing rather than just this crazy thing she's going on alone. Truly. And I love him showing up with a camcorder to the game (laughs) and it's just recording everything. (laughs) Uh, Emmett, who is your MVP? Okay. I think it's got to be Denny Jones as the coach. That's the one. He's just excellent. He's just excellent in all of it. And then when he has the, he's calling them a bunch of girls. He's like a bunch of girls. And then at the end, he turns on the other coach. He says, here in Illyria, we don't discriminate based on gender. (laughs) (laughs) This is patently false, but that's cool. He wants the best player on his team. (laughs) I give it to him. He's amazing. And then, so we watch this. And then I made Arabella watch the scene from Snatch where he's got the Desert Eagle and he's talking to the three guys coming to kill him and he like just talks them out of it. He doesn't ever even like point a gun at them. He just like talks them out of it in this brutal two minute monologue. (laughs) You should look it up if you've never seen it or you should just go watch Snatch. (laughs) You know that if she was at that school and asked to try out for the boys team, he would have been like, no. Yeah, he would not have said yes. I want to give a little shout out. Not an MVP. I'm not breaking the rules. Just a little shout out to Olivia. Oh, who I think is like very compelling in the very brief amount she's sort of on screen, and she is like quietly the most interesting character. Yeah, and we don't really get a lot of her. But like the people who are disappointed that this movie does not become Viola Olivia romance, I get because. She's a really interesting character and their chemistry is really good in those scenes. Yeah. I think this movie is the closest they, McCoy and Smith, have gotten 
two ten things in terms of making the supporting cast really likable and interesting. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if this is quite on the level that ten things is, but I feel like in all of their movies they try to have all of these side characters and give them each a bit. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in Legally Blonde and maybe especially Ella Enchanted that kind of falls flat. Mm. Uh, would this count as our final thoughts here? Do you have any other final thoughts about this movie as we close out? Fight choreography <laughs> in this movie is not good, but it's hilarious. You know, like it really captures the essence of that. Like that, those really catty fights reminds me of fighting physically fighting with my sisters growing up. The like way they fight in the bathroom. <laughs> Oh, uh, at was, the event when your sisters physically fought in a bathroom <laughs> not in a bathroom but like in places for sure i don't know i just think those scenes are really funny i think amanda Bynes just like being in the middle of all i mean she's obviously in everything in this movie but her being caught up in the middle of all those like fights and tussles and everything is just really funny i don't know i love uh this movie a lot and i love her performance in it it's great i'll watch it a thousand more times before i die Oh yeah. <laughs> I to that point about the bathroom fight, I loved that fight so much and I was like it's an awesome and satisfying moment, right? Cuz yeah. but it's also like kind of cool because you've already seen the guys fight and have like kind of a brutal fight out in the yard and it's like there's that whole thing, that whole like BS thing of the women are from Venus, men are from Mars where it's like guys fight and then it's like then they're cool and they don't hold a grudge and Girls don't fight physically, so they always hold grudges and hate each other forever. Is a feel like a stereotype, which I have yeah. heard. But this like shows that both well, men tussle. and women <laughs> get get in it with each other and fight and still hold grudges afterwards because yeah. that's just how people are. Yeah. So I thought that was awesome. Wade. Any other final thoughts here? Um, yes. I, well, I, I really enjoyed watching this movie. And I, th- I think that it is a rich text with a lot of things to say about gender. I have a couple recommendations if people like this uh-huh. and are interested in the topic and want to see more media. So one of them is the musical Head Over Heels with the music of the Go-Go's. It, it's written with modern words like this, but it's set in Elizabethan times and it has a very similar Shakespeare classic Shakespeare plot where there's a poor farmer in love with a princess and they aren't allowed to be together so he has to dress up like a woman and pretend to be one of her like maids in order for them to be together in secret that's like the sub one of many subplots in the musical but it delivers on really examining what it would be like to dress as another gender for like a year and what that means about the person doing it. Also the TV show Sex Education, which I really love, I think all of us love, has a lot of stuff, especially in season three that just came out about non-binary characters. There's a lot of stuff about binding, which is a big point in this movie, but it reminded me of that. And I also think you can even like draw a clear line from the way the teenagers talk about sex in 10 Things I Hate About You to sex education in mm-hmm. terms of like McCall and Smith starting a movement of more frank high school movies that continues on in that. Um, and the last is Freaky, which is a horror movie uh, and very bloody. So if you don't like that, then skip it. Uh, it's like a Freaky, Freaky Friday-esque body swap comedy where a young high school girl switches bodies with Vince Vaughn, who is 
um, a serial killer. And so now like Vince Vaughn is among all these other high school girls and this like young female is out like mass murdering people. (laughs) But it also is like a very queer story that is just examining like what does it mean when you love someone who's in a different body than the one that should be theirs. So I'd recommend all of this. And my last thing on the flip side is that people are always asking, how do you get fit like Channing Tatum? What's the Channing Tatum diet? Well, this movie shows it in the lunch scene. You can see what you have to eat to be like Channing Tatum, which is a Pepsi, an entire bag of rolled gold pretzels, and a red delicious apple. <laughs> All That's part what he's of this important breakfast. And his friend was eating just a chocolate cake. <laughs> so Toby was eating nothing, and their friend Andrew just had a piece of chocolate cake in front of him. And cranberry juice. He had that as well. <laughs> final thoughts, final thoughts on it. Coming from a gruff community of hard-working commercial fishermen who like work in the sun and water all day and then come and drink beer all night then like you go out in that with your dangly your dangly dagger earring and your theater degree and you feel a little i understand like i feel the that displacement as well often and mm-hmm. like in uh yeah so I really, yeah, I, 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 there are some really relatable moments like that in there. That's like, and also the point that if you actually like talk to those people, like you're just having a conversation with another person too. Like you don't actually have to put anything else on to be there, but like you can feel, I don't know, you can feel that anxiety sometimes when it's not true. So I don't know. The music in this movie is incredible. The oh, soccer man. music. The needle drop when they go for Dirty Little Secret. Oh, which is my the I most screamed. 2006. I did too. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> the most 2006 song. And they crank it up at the last minute. <laughs> and then they give us Move Along as well. Yeah, and the credits, I think, right? It was truly. Or towards the end. Yeah. Truly an AAR bonanza. Okay. Do you have anything you'd like to plug before we go to the uh, end here? Wayne and I just made a big move, you know? So I'm going to plug my Venmo this time around. <laughs> the old uh, Kelly Lee trick. Yeah, you know, I'm going to take one from Kelly's book. Uh, Laura Nicole Bennett, 33. I just said it slowly in case you needed to write it down. Uh, <laughs> Would be my Venmo. Send an extra twenty. Whatever you're gonna send, send an extra twenty five cents so I can get that instant transfer. <laughs> Come on, don't be cheap now. <laughs> you uh, know, I can't wait one to three days. No. <laughs> you're already sending an amount. Just send twenty five more. Literally starve cents. in that in that time. I I could. Yes. That's true. <laughs> We're sitting on the floor right now. They're, they're sitting on the floor. Their couch hasn't even been delivered. Talk about delivery par excellence. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like the last few episodes have been recorded in an entirely empty giant room. It's because they have. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, so get this. We're doing a quiz. This quiz oh, is yeah. based on a BuzzFeed article. Uh, not a quiz. So I, I am making the quiz up still. 
called 19 Movies I Had Absolutely No Idea Were Based on Books We All Read in High School. I'm not going to do all 19 of these. Don't worry. We're going to, I'm going to cap it at like eight or 10 or whatever. Whenever it seems to devolve into true silliness. Uh, <laughs> okay. Here we go. Uh, so on this list, of course, we have 10 Things I Hate About You and the other romantic comedy based on based on Taming of the Shrew, Deliver Us from Eva. Uh, I'm going to start with number three on this list. It's from 1964. It is a mu- movie musical. My Fair Lady. It is My Fair Lady, based <laughs> on the classic play Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw. Next up, we have another movie, which much like this film, is a teen comedy. It is also based on the George Bernard Shaw play Pygmalion. Wow. 1999. I feel like I know this. (laughs) It's a 1999 romantic comedy. Can you give us some hints about the cast in it? We've got Kieran Culkin in there. We've got a Rachel Lee Cook, a Freddie Prinze Jr. Oh, is it She's All That? It is She's All That, the 1999 romance comedy based on Pygmalion. I had no idea. I'm so bad at these quizzes. It's embarrassing. (laughs) Next up, yet another movie based on Pygmalion. Because that was such a great move. That was such a great play. Everybody read Pygmalion and was like, you know what? We should should do a remake. Um, This 1990 remake stars... Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. Does it have wedding in the title? No, it does not. Okay, so this is a story. Um, A man in a legal but hurtful business needs an escort for some social events and hires... Pretty woman? Yes, that's correct. I was about to say that, so I want everybody to know I did know the answer to that one. (laughs) The answer to that one is pretty woman. All right, I'm going to go down a little bit. This one is really going to blow people's minds. This is a film that the director says, the director and writer says, is based on Charles Dickens's A Tale of Two Cities. You are never going to guess this. Do we know what the uh, movie is? Well, we you've will just seen never this guessed. movie. You, I believe okay. you've both seen it. You both know of, of it. Uh, you've, both, you've both heard of it. Um, it stars Anne Hathaway, another uh, McCullough and Smith connection here um, princess diaries it is not princess diaries so i think more recent anne hathaway i think uh her like more recent like dramatic career oh is it the weird one with mcconaughey where they were on an island and there was like all that controversy no nope. starts with an s one word it, it certainly wasn't that one think okay. more popular think franchise oceans eight uh, think <laughs> brooding Byronic hero across oh, wait. the Dark Knight Rises. Yes, I didn't even know Anne Hathaway was in that. She plays Catwoman. <laughs> yes, okay, wait, get this the original screenplay, which ended up being very edited and cut down. No kidding, were based on the classic novel, especially in tone, and quote. What Dickens does in that book in terms of having all his characters come together in one unified story with all these thematic elements and all this great emotionalism and drama, it was exactly the tone we were looking for. That's Christopher Nolan. That movie is terrible. <laughs> Did you okay. know that Laura has never 
seen a single film featuring the popular character Batman. Really? <laughs> I can't believe you exposed me on the podcast. Not a single one of them? Nope. And you know which one I'm going to start with? Good old Robert Pattinson. <laughs> Hell yeah. Might as well. Might as well. You've, if you most... haven't tried the rest, you might as well just start with the best. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, now there's too many. It's overwhelming. There are a lot. Okay, so this next film is a 1996 comedy starring a very popular uh, comedian actor of the time. It is based on the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, a kind of comedy take on that story. Uh, is it an Eddie Murphy movie? It is an Eddie Murphy movie. Oh, I should know this. Um, <laughs> it's not The Clumps, right? That's something else. Um, it is, in fact, the movie where the clumps get their start. Okay, but it's not Christmas with the clumps? No. Clumps? I've never even heard of this. Like, <laughs> um, Big Mama's House? No. <laughs> I, uh, I'm sorry, I'm no help at can all. Can you give me a hint about the title? It refers to a person's job. Does something teach professor? Uh-huh. The nutty uh-huh. professor? The Nutty Professor. That is correct. I've never seen it. I've only heard of it. Okay, this next one is a 1999 um, take on the uh, the French play Les Liaisons d'Alsace. Oh, can you say that again? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good. Les Liaisons. <laughs> Nah, nah. <laughs> you just said le, le, le. <laughs> la liaisons dangerous. Okay. Or dangerous liaisons, I believe, is how that would be uh, translated in English. But this is a 1999 teen romance high school movie. The plot of this film is very similar to the book. Is it? Wait, is it Cruel Intentions? It is Cruel Intentions. I thought that was 96. Uh, It says 1999 right here. Cool. All right. Another one that's just going to blow your noodle. It's You're not even going (laughs) to know what the... All right. All right. Get this. (laughs) This movie, it's it's very loosely based on George Orwell's novel Animal Farm. (laughs) This animated movie... Over the Hedge? Nope. Chicken From little. 2006, features Wanda Sykes, Sam Elliott, Tino Insana, Rob Paulson, Kevin James, <laughs> Jeffrey Garcia. Flushed away? No, 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 no. Get this. Madagascar? No, it has a weird sequence in which some talking cows drive a car drunk. Over the hedge? No, yeah. I totally <laughs> guessed that. Um, um, what's that like? It was a TV show, too, with a bunch of cows. I don't know. It's right there. It's right. You're you're right on it. Home on the Range? No, although that was a fun movie. (laughs) They're the original party animals. Secret lives of animals revealed. They're riding (laughs) motorcycles. What? That says what happens in the barn stays in the barn. Um, Racing Stripes. This cow has a cheesy smile. What is the title like? It's just a description of the place that they live. (laughs) 
farmland. Overgrown. Crazy farm. The barnyard. Oh. Or just barnyard. All right, and so concludes ignominiously <laughs> this bout of of she's the bum or bums the she or what's the word? Uh, I hope you all have a lovely rest of your day. Well, let me say before we go, every happiness to you both. <laughs> That's what she said in this movie when she leaves the double date. Uh, I wrote it down to make this joke. Uh, Join us in 33 weeks when we discuss Jordan Peele's Nope. Um, Or if you'd prefer to catch up with us next week, we will be talking about the titular one, House Bunny. Stay frosted, everybody. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Wade Lawrence Holloman and me, Emmett Temple. Wade also edits and mixes the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week. 